Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I have been promising you all some phenomenal guests, a great lineup uh, this year, and I am very excited. I had to wait a couple weeks for this one, but I am very excited to have on the program for you today my partner in crime, Carlos Hidalgo. And the reason that I said it's so slow and so excited is because Carlos is DemandGen's new chief strategy officer. And while he is new to our team, he is not new to me and he is not new to so many of you and the marketing community. So that may be new news for you, but Carlos, welcome to, it's actually our second podcast together, but the first time with you actually wearing the badge, the DemandGen badge. How are you? I'm great. Dave, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm sitting here looking at my new demand gen business cards as well. So um, I'm so excited for this journey and to be working together because we've known each other a very long time. We have. We'll, we'll talk about that. And we're going to jump right in uh, to what this episode is all about. Can I ask on the business cards? Did 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 marketing set you up with the die cut ones? They did. They're pretty slick. Isn't that? I gotta, I gotta, they're, they're pretty sharp. I have always, I'm such an idiot, but I've always thought about making a video on the making and design of that business card because like the amount of engineering effort that went into that middle die cut with our logo, it was, it was, they had to know exactly how thick it was, the splines and everything. And kudos to the folks who, who print those for us because it was quite an engineering feat. I don't know if anybody would it, it, appreciate that as much as I did. I thought it was, it was pretty cool. But anyway, I digress. Um, let me tell you guys about Carlos, if you don't know Carlos. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm proud to say he is a friend of mine. And right, we don't always get to work in life with people that we care about. And I have just a, a great passion in my heart for him and a lot of admiration because he and I were competitors back in the day. He ran a competing uh, agency that he founded years ago and led very successful tenure that he was there until he departed uh, to do his own thing for a while. And uh, if you guys have been following the podcast for a couple of years now, you might remember episode 113, which I did with Carlos, which was on your book, The Un-American Dream. And I would like to um, maybe just take one minute and and make sure that you are really recognized for the work that you're doing there, helping people who don't have the balance they need. And, and even though you started with us around the middle of January, you went off uh, for a couple of weeks to, to Africa to do some good in the world. And so Carlos, just phenomenal individual. How, how did that trip go? Trip was amazing. Um, we were in Uganda in the Teso region and working with single moms and widows on education and long-term sustainability. And as I shared with you before we came on the air, to see these women who have gone from completely uneducated because of the culture there to now being educated and starting their own businesses. It was like an entrepreneurial shot in the arm. It was fantastic. And I learned so much every time I go over and it really is a privilege to spend time with such incredible people. That is that is very cool. Good good on you because I I was in Vegas watching the Super Bowl. I wasn't doing something <laughs> <laughs> as as uh, as Hopefully important in the world. The you know we could do no wrong this trip, which is always weird because, um, it, you know, Tiffany sat down in a slot machine and, and two pulls later won $1,400 off the uh, Bing Bang Theory slot machine. So it was nuts. Nice, it was nice, a good nice. trip. 
Let's dive in. Um, again, those of you guys who don't know Carlos, we're, we're talking about someone who uh, is a best-selling author, wrote book Driving Demand. Uh, he and I both wrote books around the same time, around demand generation. And so what we want to talk about with you today is um, basically a continuation of this series that I started on the last episode, episode 151, where I talked about changing the narrative. And it was uh, an audio version, if you will, of the blog post that I did at the beginning of the year, which introduces this D3 or demand generation framework. And so in that framework, I described these three areas that if you really want to drive revenue and have high performance sales and marketing, maximize the revenue of your company, you got to look at demand creation, demand management, and demand expansion. And today, what we're going to do is dive into the first box, the demand creation area. And then Carlos and I are going to come back and dive into demand management. And then we'll complete the series with a deep dive into demand expansion, uh, which is growing the revenue from your customers. And that way we can spend some time with you guys and really kind of dive into the strategic aspects of these three areas, but as well as some of the tactical um, areas of it. And, you know, any new business, even those ones that you were seeing in Africa, um, if you don't have demand for your product and if you can't find prospects for your business, then you have no business. So what better place to start um, talking about demand creation? And, you know, Carlos, I would love it if, if you lead us off and, and share some of your viewpoints and passions around knowing thy buyer. Because I think before we get into the tactics of the things you need to do, it would be good to, to start there uh, and, and dive into that. We will, at the end of the podcast, offer you guys some ways to continue the conversation as well as get some materials on this. So stick around for that. But, but Carlos, what do, you, what do you think about the whole know thy buyer and, and the importance of creating personas, but um, you know, where sometimes those end up? Yeah, I, I think understanding our buyer, what I call buyer centricity or customer centricity is paramount to success, uh, especially when we're talking about demand creation. And I see so many organizations that say, oh, well, we have personas. And then you look at them and you say, well, how are these developed? And it's marketing, develop them in a vacuum with no input from sales, no input from customer support, no input from their own data. Um, and they, and, and then even if they take that step, you still have to ask the question like, how, what outside inputs did you get? Because if all we're going to do is create personas uh, or create insights based on our own idea of who our buyer is, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I actually need to go outside and interview my customers about who they are what they do, what challenges they face, what channels they use to collect information. I want to understand their buying journey. If we just throw tactics against the wall, we become that CMO who said, I know 50% of my marketing is working. I just don't mm -hmm. know what 50%. Yeah. Tiffany, uh, who heads up marketing for us, as you know, we were talking yesterday about the campaign that she launched, I think today, on LinkedIn uh, in collaboration with our partner, Adobe. And she was remarking just in a year how advanced LinkedIn's tools had gotten for really targeting the exact person that we want these ads to show up. So not just at the account level, that capability was in there, but then down at the persona level. And it's, it's impressive that we can be that targeted. But hey, if you don't know who thy buyer is, then um, 
you're just so inefficient with your content creation and where, you know, where's your buyer's eyes these days? Where are you engaging with them? And that's why I think it's such a good place to, to start. I'm going to, I'm going to pay one more visual as we keep going, Carlos. And that is when you think of this D3 framework, these, these three areas all working together, maybe picture in your mind three, three wheels, you know, wheels with, um, gears, if you will. And every one of those gears, the, the, you know, the elements that turn the wheel need to be in place and it needs to be of a certain size because the smaller the wheel is, the less impact you're going to have on that middle hub of driving revenue. And the larger the wheel is, the more revenue and impact that you're going to have there. But if you're missing elements on this wheel, those little, those little, uh, what are they called? Tines? I don't know what you call a little element on the end of of, of a sprocket. Spokes. Spoke? Well, I don't know, but that that little gear that yeah. let's go with spoke. If you're missing pieces and and knowing that buyer, like I have seen countless marketing teams, like you're saying, like go and create a Microsoft Word or PowerPoint version of a buyer persona, has a nice little stock picture, has some narrative, uh, describes them, and that's all well and good. But how do you operationalize that? How do you break yes. that down into elements that you can really, really uh, target very well, whether it's an ad on LinkedIn, as Tiffany and the team is doing, or, or something else, and, and into content. Why do you think, Carlos, people struggle with this? Um, I, I know from running demand gen for 13 years, I feel like I really know our buyer persona really well. And so, you know, as someone who's new to the team, Carlos, and someone, this is not your first rodeo, and certainly not your first rodeo in terms of helping clients. Let me let me sound this out to you and see what you think. So I think one of our key buyer personas is what I call the new sheriff. And this is someone who is a CMO or VP of marketing or VP of demand gen or VP of marketing operations. Those key titles that is in a brand new company just entering their role, like Ashley Brooker, shout out to you, uh, who just landed at Webflow. And those folks go into these environments. They've got a MarTech stack they know demand generation, they're mm-hmm. assessing their team, and they reach out to us because either they worked with us in the past, but let's say they didn't, they need to get it going. They need to get their 90-day plan in place and get stuff where it needs to be to start showing an impact on the business. And I could go on, but I really understand that buyer persona so well that we not only can operationalize it in our systems and look for triggers like role movement in social media, but we have content purpose built to help those people with their success. Exactly. So yeah. be critical or, or give me feedback. Like, do I need to be more precise than that? And, and then if we really understand that, you know, if I went on, um, how do you operationalize that and put that into a, a system and have sales and marketing really understand? Let, let's call this persona Ashley. Yeah. Well, I think I think where the precision comes in is understanding who is surrounding Ashley, right, or or who's surrounding the new sheriff, because we know in B two B, by all the research that's been done by the likes of uh, CEB, that is now Gartner and Sirius, that we're, we're not selling to a decision maker; we're selling to a committee of people. And so I think the precision comes in in understanding that. But I I think to your greater point is now that we've identified that. The question is, what are we going to do with it? And the reason most organizations are really struggling is because, Dave, as you well know, we, we've been in this business a long time. This isn't overnight stuff. This no. isn't stuff that is developed 
quickly. It can be uh, time-consuming. It's at times it can be challenging and complex, and that's why, you know, when as we've talked about D three, I love the fact that it simplifies something that is very complex, and so many marketing teams are being inundated with the tyranny of the urgent. And so they're putting the more strategic things on the back burner and running to the to the operational or the tactical things. And the best teams that we've seen succeed understand that there is a unification of the two. Yeah. There's there's some short-term operational things you can do to improve your demand creation. But there's also some longer-term strategic things. And when I say longer-term, I'm not talking years, but longer-term strategic things like the buyer insights, the definition of the journey that you can start to do. And then when you marry that with the optimized tactics, that's when you create that demand engine, or at least from a demand creation stage, that's where you're really starting to hit your target market. You're having content in the right place at the right time that is engaging and personalized, and you're starting to build a relationship with a buyer who's out there looking for a solution. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's important to point out that, I mean, if you're lucky enough as a company to have one buyer, like as an individual and one persona, um, kudos to you. That is that is not right. the case, right? So. Um, we have several different buyer personas. I'm sure those of you listening have many different buyer personas. It also changes over time. Like who our customer is today yeah. is very different than the customer of 13 years ago and will be different from the customer and the customer needs of years to come. So creating these buyer personas, it's a fun, I think it's a fun um, engagement to do with sales and, and product marketing and really talk about these different personas and and then take it and crystallize this. Don't obsess about the narrative and the and, and all the details details of the buyer persona. It's the conversation that really produces um, great insights across the organization. And once that's really you know, as detailed as you want it to be, then you can look at the other elements of demand creation and level yourself you know, up. So demand creation involves things like content creation, right? So you're, you're using all different kinds of content tools, hopefully these days from direct mail to video, um, downloadable content. You're, you're, uh, you're producing various assets and merchandising that content, both from an inbound and outbound perspective. Those elements of content need to be written to the buyer persona uh, that you're right. that you're going after, and and there could be many of them out there. And so, organizing that content and making sure that you're regularly producing content, and it's content that's not about right them and their products. It's about content that helps that buyer persona address the problems uh, that they that they have. So, you know, coming back to us, Carlos, one of the reasons that we have like the demand factory posters and we have um, all the PowerPoint slides that we've created for marketing leadership to explain in their organizations what they're doing is because we know that those assets are helpful to them and that's why we make them readily available and and that's our lead bait. I mean, that's how we get people to self-identify that they are the new sheriff in town and looking for some of this this content. Sure. So it's it's giving to getting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think to, you know back, that that comment right there says everything. Give to get. So many so many organizations, even if they have oper- operationalized or even built some kind of persona, the content, as you just mentioned, is so key. Because we feel like we have to gate every every piece of content, and then all the content is about us. Well, how about if we change the paradigm and make the content about the buyer, which is we can't do unless we get that buyer insight. So I love the fact that you talked about give to get. We've got to give value 
in the demand creation stage to a buyer who's looking to qualify and, if possible, quantify their needs and their problems if we're going to be able to win the right to actually have a discussion about what we can offer. And too many times we're going in for the kill far too early. Yeah. Um. I have, you know, I have a, a great passion for neuromarketing. I like the the science of influence and and such. And um, the one of the ways to test it when you're creating content, if the content's about your company versus content for the reader, is just look at the headline and the words that you that you are using. If if it's about your company name and the name of your product and that type of stuff, then it's still kind of inward looking content. But if it's external, um, give an example, a couple pieces that we've put out recently, seven steps to a healthier marketing database, right? That's very you-centric about, about the reader, not about us. We just released one, uh, I think it was yesterday, how to implement effective data management and enable data-driven marketing. And so how-to content. Uh, most of the episodes, little, little secret um, to all the demand gen radio community, most of our episodes say how-to this or how-to that. And you yeah. guys listen to those episodes more than any other episodes because they're prescriptive and they're they're all about you. So do a, do a content check uh, there at your company and see if the content that you're creating is give to get um, resourceful to them and less about you. Just the language can't be about you and your products and features and company. And uh, look at your sales reps. If your sales reps start a presentation where the first several slides is, here's all the companies that we've worked with and here's all the awards that we've won and here's all the things that make us so badass, well, that that's going to turn off your your buyer um, prospect uh, just just from the get go, and Carlos, you and I have had conversations about that approach and and how that does not uh, that does not work. No, it it doesn't work. It doesn't endear your brand to your buyers at all. Because again, you know, just because we walk into our offices doesn't mean we stop being human. We want to find, we want to work with people who understand our issues, can empathize with those issues, and then also give us, like you just said, that prescriptive content to say, here's how you would address it. Yeah. I want to work with the guys who know. Yeah. Because those are the guys who that I'm going to build trust with. All right. So let's go back to this imaginary wheel that we all have in our heads, uh, this gear and, and teeth. That was the word I was looking for, the, the teeth of a wheel. So let's just say we, we just welded on a tooth to our wheel and that's content and knowing thy buyer. Those are key elements of the wheel before we do anything else after that. So now that we've got this content and maybe it's content on our website and it's campaigns that we're running and putting the content out there and maybe content syndication, We've got to capture leads. And I'm just going to use the word leads, Carlos, because I don't have a better word for them right now, but I'm hand raisers, inquiries. These are people that are responding and grabbing that content. And a big place to start in terms of how effective you're going to be, and I know this is stating the obvious, is all roads lead to your website these days. And not only your website on a browser, on a desktop, but more than likely these days, your browser and your website on a mobile device. And so if you think about that, and the reason I mentioned it, Carlos, right, is that UI and UX and finding content and getting to it and being able to download it, and, and if there's a form in front of it, uh, the importance. So these are some of the tactics that I like to talk about because I think you can have all the best content in the world, but if you're trying to capture leads at some point, 
they're either engaging with your chat bots or your your bots or download yeah. forms. You've got to look at all those entry points and say, am I delivering a very frictionless experience for people to get our content? And when is the right time to gate it so that I can turn someone who's interested into someone who is in some ways kind of providing providing an engagement opportunity with their, their, their information. What are your thoughts about that? Okay, now they're arriving at our website, either through mobile device or desktop, and what are the things that you've often looked at and prescribed with your clients uh, prior to demand gen to, to say, you know, are, are you set up for success here? Yeah, I think that th- those, are, those are, again, one of the, the hallmarks of success as a good site. I, I, I remember one client who had incredible content and they kept telling me, we posted on our community site. I went to their site, and I'm not kidding you, it took me about seven minutes, and I wouldn't have stayed unless they were a client. It took me seven minutes to find their community site. And their community site, you had to scroll all the way to the bottom, and it was buried, the link to their community site was buried in the footer of the website. So they had great content, but it was so difficult to access and difficult to find. And so I would say it's it's that, I agree with you, it's that web experience. But even think about the forms that some of us have had to fill out, where upon my first engagement with you, you're asking me things like how much budget, what's my time frame to purchase, and all of these what I would call invasive questions. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know you. Mm-hmm. Really what I'm trying to do with demand creation is build trust and start a conversation. And at that point, really, if I have automation, I need your name and email. And then I can profile you as you go on. I can do some data pending on the back end. But we make it so difficult for our buyers to access this when, and I think this is why we see, and and I know Marketo a number of years ago, I referenced it in Driving Demand, did a study that said if if you reduce the number of fields from like nine to four, and I believe the uplift was like 42% completion rate. Or I'm, I'm trying to go from memory. It's been a long time. Yeah. We, we have to think about that. And we're not, again, I mentioned go for the kill. We, we don't have to get everything about that buyer on first engagement. And even give some away, but make it easy to find, make it easy to navigate your site. And that's part of that optimization. And again, do it from a buyer perspective. I, I, as I have you, I pulled up a website of a relatively new client and I'm not going to mention them because I actually know their CMO listens and she'll, <laughs> she, she'd go nuts if I, if I called her out. But then the, the nice thing is she's already self-aware as a team is that this site needs to be overhauled, but it doesn't matter what the company is. Let me just describe why it's absolutely poor for demand creation. I am now at the site at the homepage the top entire side of the browser is five words, which is like a message about their value prop. It takes up the entire screen, these five words, and there's a contact us button in the top right. So I've now landed, and before I might bounce, I don't really know anything about them other than this almost like tagline, and a contact us. Well, I'm not ready to contact us. Now if I scroll down, now I'm inundated with tons of words. There's no visuals. I have to read everything. I scroll more, more words, even more words, and more words. Now I'm starting to see the first icons on the website. They're not icons that are very unique to this business, so my eyes kind of glance past. And I'm now two-thirds down the page, more big words, and now some logos of companies that they've worked with, what looks like a little 
mini case study. And then guess what, Carlos? Finally, two thirds of the way down is the word download for these case studies. And when I click it, form or no form, no form. But, well, that might be nice that I didn't have to have an entry fee. The browser didn't take me to a new tab and a new page. I am now looking at this case study. And even if this wasn't the asset I hoped for, I have to be smart enough on a mobile device too to find the back button, go back, and now I re-engage from the top of the site all the way down again. So, you know, inspect what you expect. And then I complete my scroll to the bottom of the page beyond those case studies. There's nothing else. There's no content. There's nothing visual. There's nothing that really gets engaged me. And, and I got to think that their bounce rate is off the charts because it's all about them. It's about three companies that they helped. And while there ain't nothing wrong with case studies, uh, even once you got me, I left. I went and looked at the PDF in the same, same browser. So I just, I thought I would take us through that because I'm like, if we can't be better than this at demand creation, we're, all, all the numbers fall apart from that point forward. Just nothing else works. And I'm just on a website. I mean, let's, let's switch the script and talk about events. Carlos, something that you, you do a lot of public speaking, give out a lot of thought leadership, uh, and you see companies all the time doing events. Do you ever see event marketing from a demand creation done well or have some some horror stories of because it's the most expensive form of demand generation and we're now entering our industry's event season and companies are gearing up to spend tons of money for boosts and and various stuff and you know are they really going to bring home leads uh using some of the, the approaches that they take today i don't i don't think so but i'd, I'd like to hear if you have some yeah. stories of it done well yeah i i think it can be uh it's part of a multi-channel mix that could be used um I, i've I have yet to see a company who has really crafted it, and I and I know this because, and as you said, the event season has started because my inbox is now filling up with, hey, we're so excited to see you. Why don't you drop by booth number 256, come see our greatest, latest demo. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've done no profiling of me. If you have my name and my email, you, you can do a little bit of profiling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then conversely, when I get back from the event, it's, hey, thanks for stopping by our booth. Well, I never did. And I actually did last year. I did a just a my own little study. I went to a show. I spoke at it, and I purposely did not stop at any booth. I walked around the exhibit hall, but I never let anybody scan my badge. And I can't tell you how many. I think there was like thirty or forty exhibitors there. Um, I received about twelve emails about, "Hey, thanks for stopping by our booth. We enjoyed the conversation." All you've told me through that email is. We have no idea who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and we are on top of it. We are clueless. So I think events, if done well, and I'm a big fan of more smaller kind of uh, invite only events. But I think if event events are part of your multi channel strategy, to your point, the investment in them is so significant. You, just as a good steward of that investment, you need to put some thought behind how you're going to do it and do it very very well. Yeah, we um to to talk about how demand gen does demand gen, we've had about seven internal meetings about the events that we have coming up. So I'll just share some of the things that, that we do, if this is helpful to, to give some ideas. Um, we're, we make sure we do two things. Number one is we do our best at getting speaking opportunities at conferences. Mm-hmm. So, so for those of you who are listening to this before the end of February, 
I'm speaking at the B2B MX conference and I'm doing a workshop uh, that I call the Demand Generation Masterclass where I'll be going into these topics in greater depth than a lot of show and tell. When we approached that conference, we had sales, marketing, and customer service leadership sit down and our head of marketing took us through the entire event season of all the events that were going to be and starting with this one. And so we carefully plan what we're going to do at that event and how each of these departments are going to be involved and orchestrate that. So that's when we make determinations of how we're going to be there. Are we going to have a booth? Are we going to have speaking opportunities? If so, what about? Uh, are we going to have client appreciation activities taking place? Any meetings going on? So we go through all the different aspects as a aligned team across those areas and put the plan in, in place. And one of the areas, you know, Carlos, where I was most involved was when it came to my workshop because marketing said, hey, Dave, you know, here's what we want to do. You like to give out materials at your workshop. So we're going to put together a, you know, opening slide where every attendee can hold up their phone take a quick shot of the QR code. It will bring them to a landing page where they can register that they're in the course and we will send them immediately uh, the materials, copy of your presentation, all the materials. So that's give to get, right? They're, yeah. they're registering to get all the materials that they came to the course for. And yeah, there's an entry fee. They, they gave their information, but I always, of course, tell them like, hey, by the way, you're going to get an email in five minutes from us. And if you want to opt out of any further communication and we do not give your info to anyone else, you can do that. Just just click the footer and, and subscribe out or do what you want to do. And um, I normally have like 98% registration at that. And we'll use all of our lead scoring technology and we'll look at engagement. And you know now we've now some records have entered the funnel. I'd much prefer that, right, than a bunch of squeegee balls or USB drives or chargers that are given out and collecting business cards from people passing by the booth and hand those off to sales because are those really qualified prospects? No, they're, they're people interested in, in whatever giveaway that you had. So you got to really think about give to get at events and what you can give out in terms of content that helps thy buyer and supports that buyer and maybe get their contact information. But think of the streams that then need to follow from that, that first touch because there ain't no silver bullet in marketing. I know you do this. At the end of every presentation, you offer people some some office hours. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There are some other tactics uh, that I want to make sure that we just list up on the, the mental whiteboard, which is um, enrichment. If, if you're doing demand creation in this day and age, you've got to be using technology to enrich your records. We can't have forms with, you know, 15 fields, God forbid, on the form of capturing all your tall, dark, and handsome criteria. So you've got to enrich using technology so that once Carlos Hidalgo comes to your website and fills out and puts in his email and his company name and maybe his title and uh, such, that you enrich that with industry and company size and other demographic and firmographic information. That's table stakes today in demand creation. If you're not doing that, Let's talk with you about how to do a better job of that. And then cleansing, right? I looked at a, a record uh, in a database earlier and noticed that the uh, field formats for the office phone and, and mobile phone were incredibly inconsistent. Some, a client was doing some show and tell in their Salesforce instance. And like again, that there's just no reason for that anymore when you've got really great tools to standardize and normalize uh, field values. And then I would say, you know, matching and routing in demand creation, right? Getting that lead record to the right rep in a very 
timely fashion. And if you're doing ABM, or not even doing ABM, just matching those lead records to account so that when sales is looking inside the CRM and they see a lead record, that they know that there's not just Carlos at Demand Gen, but there's David at Demand Gen, and then there's Tiffany at Demand Gen, and you've got you know all these different folks in a buying committee that sales has visibility to. And I'd say those are just some of the table stakes things that need to get done. We didn't we didn't even touch like nurturing in the upper funnel. What do you think, Carlos? When when you look at all those teeth on the demand creation wheel and making sure that clients are are making that wheel as big as it can be and having all the teeth that needs to be, what are some other things that are important? Yeah, I think to your point on the data, it's the personalization. Um, if you look at the research, and I think Demand Gen Report came out with some really good research on the demand for personalization. And personalization isn't, hey, Dave, um, <laughs> it, it has to get a little bit deeper than that. It, it has to actually you know, kind of get down to your sales reps where they have to know the industry, they have to know your challenges. I always have a challenge for clients in the marketing and sales groups to say, can you talk about the problems and the challenges facing your buyers in their industry without mentioning your product or your brand? And the number the number of people who can't do that. So I think personalization, but that gets back to the data, right? Yes, that you does. talked about. And I submit that the data is arguably the most valuable asset that a marketing team has, and yet I consistently see it the most neglected. And so we've got to invest in that. It's, it's hard. I mean, personalization is. Is, is hard. Um, I would say that's like level two. If we took demand creation and said that there's a maturity curve, right, That would we'd put that in level two. But boy, the ROI from that is is pretty significant. And again, it's, it's yeah, it's not dear first name um, or putting the person's company name on the website, although that's clever. Or May, you know, putting companies' names and such and custom videos like the capabilities that folks like Vidyard provide, it is very slick and is very engaging, especially if you're marketing to marketers, right? I mean, that's that's some good personalization trickery right there. But yeah, the 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 more the content can be dynamically served to that persona, whether it's company or industry. And boy, if you have to start somewhere. Start with industry. The more your case studies, I gave that example, the, the horrific website experience just a little while ago with the different case studies. If those case studies were directly aligned to my industry and what I do, boy. I mean, that's good stuff because right. there's no reason for me to be reading about manufacturing necessarily if I'm in tech or if I'm in entertainment, show me um, you know, what uh, three leading entertainment companies have done with your product or service. And that's, that's certainly personalization right there. Is it easy? Not necessarily, but is it worth it? Absolutely can be. And I'd say that's a good uh, maturity level. Um, another thing I would say in demand creation that kind of goes in that uh, got to do it well is the alignment with sales. Uh, there are so many tools these days, some really good ones out there that enable sequencing and engagement by SDR teams. Uh, I've looked at two just in the last week, kind of recent updates for both Sales Loft and Outreach, deep dives into their latest releases. And the templates that are in there, right, the scripts for the sequences, I mean, talk about needing to align sales and marketing and discuss the content of that, uh, Carlos. And I know there's some agencies in the world that have spun up specifically focused on helping SDR teams with the deployment and use and adoption of those tools. So we talked earlier about the landscape of thy buyer changing, and that's certainly an area 
we've seen among our customers with the alignment of sales and marketing and SDR teams that marketing has to play a very active role in creating the content for those touch points so everything's really well orchestrated and not only on brand. Are you ever are you ever surprised when you've had in an organization, uh, like let's use this event that's going on, um, how many times you have to write email for people on your team that want to invite people to an event? And I think like, how hard is that to craft an email that says, Carlos, we're going to be having a dinner with our top clients at B2BMX, which I believe you're going to, and we'd love to have you uh, join us. If you're interested, um, let me know or click here. Like that seems so basic, but it's not, right? I mean, that that's not a natural instinct for people to write uh, the right amount of content in the right way for an invite. And if you're an SDR team doing outreach, don't assume they're going to figure that all out. They won't. And you got you to gotta work with the marketing to do that. And if you're on the SDR team or sales team, listen to this, ask for help. I'm not trying to beat up on you. I just, I just know different people have different skills. Some of the most cringeworthy content, and I speak as a salesperson, Dave, you well know I've, I've sold for a long time, but some of the most cringeworthy emails and content I have ever seen has come from a sales team. And, and let's be honest, and, and I have come a long way in my viewpoint on this, I don't want my salespeople crafting content. I want my salespeople selling. That's what they're there to do. And so if I, as a marketer, can then say, I'm going to help drive that, not only does it help with the alignment issue, it stays on message, and it really helps from a marketing perspective have a little bit more control over the full customer arc that starts with demand creation. And ultimately, we know, we'll talk about uh, demand expansion at another time, but ultimately, I want to turn my customers into advocates. That's not sales jobs to do. Now, sales plays a role but they're not ultimately responsible for that. So let's let sales do what they do, which is sell and and close revenue, but let's not burden them with a bunch of administrative things. Let's enable them to do their jobs and do it really, really well, yeah. which takes time. I want to I wanna give a shout out to Daryl Alfonso, who was on the podcast with me from Amazon Web Services. And, and Daryl, if you're listening, I'm just going to tell the story of what happened that day. So the day that he and I did the podcast together, great podcast, by the way, you guys should go back and listen to it. Amazon Web Service had did a big oops that turned into an actual bit of a success story for them. So accidentally, they sent out a campaign of just their, their email template. So it was, I want to say the Lauren Ipsum copy that was in there, but it wasn't. And that's what made it so interesting of a story is that the copy that had marketing and written in their template to advise the people who were creating content how to do effective content was just masterful. And they really did a phenomenal job of, of how to write copy that flows like music and that engages an audience. So rather than using Lauren Ipsum, it was like a, every time you use that template, it's a little mini lesson in highly effective copy and copywriting and demand generation copy and, and way, way to turn a, an oops into everybody just kind of admired like, what a great freaking template. I'm so glad I got a chance actually to, to see it. So uh, lemons, lemonade out of lemons for sure. Right. That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. I don't know how to search for it and find it, but it, it, was, it was pretty well documented on, on uh, LinkedIn and a couple other places. When you, when you think, we're going to move on to demand expansion in the next episode, but as we get to wrapping up this one, when it comes to, you think, demand creation, 
is demand creation these days harder than demand management? Do, do we want to wait to the next episode and make a comparison? But what do you, what do you think, Carlos? I mean, because you have started businesses as I have, and you advise countless clients on filling the tops of their funnel, you know, getting net new. Um, which do you think is harder, managing the demand that you're getting and turning into pipeline or, or, or demand creation? The reason I ask is I don't know a client of mine who's not stressed about this every single day and every single week because of the pressure of more and more and more. Yeah, great question. And and I would say both are both are challenging, but I say demand creation is a little bit harder and here is why. Demand management uh, in large part, as you said, we'll go into it in more detail. But a, a lot of that has to do with my own internal process and my own internal change management. Demand creation is me going out to a whole audience segment that I don't necessarily have control over, who have numerous choices, who all they need is their smartphone to engage and, and educate themselves, are much more educated by the time they knock on my door, and uh, have limited attention spans. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love the quote by Joe Chernoff, who said, we're not fighting for time, we're fighting for attention. Yes, well that said, be Joe. That becomes really, really difficult um, to do that at scale. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I see so many organizations, and, and rightly so, they are stressed about it because you can't manage demand if you don't create demand. Mm -hmm. It is um, definitely different in different industries and different products and different different businesses. Um, there are so many companies that I admire that I think do a phenomenal job with their content production and, and really creating awareness for their products and services. I know most of us are all in, in B2B, but uh, just to come back to the Super Bowl discussion, when I saw the commercials this year, maybe I'm just a traditional marketer, but I felt like, okay, cool, engaging storytelling, but where's the product woven into 50 of the 60 seconds. I might remember this commercial because of its entertainment value, but I don't know where the product is. Uh, I think the one that did a really good job, kind of like my favorite Super Bowl commercial was the Google one, where the gentleman was talking about, the older gentleman was um, telling Google to remember all the things about his loving wife uh, because she had passed and kind of creating like a, a mental scrapbook and it was heartwarming and it was engaging and you just stood there like watching it and soaking it in. But you could kind of tell what was happening along the way that this was technology and a system. And yeah, at the end it paid off and this, this is Google, but very memorable. So much so that when you go to that Google, Google search box, um, you're going to, at least I'm, I'm remembering that experience as we're talking about it right now. So uh, you know, content creation is hard. Demand creation is hard. I agree with you. And we're constantly under pressure. And, and like you said, a lot of competition for the mind these days and the, the attention uh, because there's so much stimulation that's out there. want to wrap up with uh, an offer for all of you and, and just to let you know what's going on. So Carlson and I are working since the beginning of the year to create some really impactful visuals for you so that you can talk about demand generation, uh, this D3 framework, these different areas, and the things that you need to do to get those wheels, those, those um, hubs really big and really well integrated to maximize revenue growth. So two things. One is, um, and some of you did uh, last week off the last podcast, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you would like to receive these PowerPoint slides as we are putting them together. I think you know if you're in a marketing leadership role 
or want to be in a marketing leadership role someday, uh, these are great slides that you can use to communicate what's happening in marketing and all the things that you need to get done. So take us up on that. Just reach out to me on LinkedIn or Carlos uh, for that matter. But then also he and I talked before the podcast and we said, you know, is anyone going to take us up on this offer? We'll see. Um, some office hours with you. I mean, we don't have unlimited time, but we do like to give. And Carlos and I said, you know, we want to extend to you guys. Any of you want to reach out to us and talk about your specific environment and some of the things that are going on there and get our advice on how to tackle um, maybe some of the ways that you need to level up your demand creation or just demand generation overall, um, reach out to me, David Lewis. Reach out to Carlos Hidalgo, H-I-D-A-L-G-O. You should definitely be connected with Carlos if you're not already as well. Anything I forgot, Carlos, to, to help people no, I- on this journey? I think that just about sums it up. Would love to help some people because it's a it's a challenging journey, and I would say don't get discouraged because it can be done, but it's going to take time. Awesome, Carlos is our new chief strategy officer, the first one we've ever had. Uh, he's a great friend of mine and a person that I admire, and I would really encourage those of you. Um, he's there for you, so reach out, ask for his help, and he will take you on this journey of leveling yourself up and your team. And helping you guys drive more revenue. Because at the end of the day, that is what it's all about. But there's a lot of steps to get there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode. I look forward to the next part of the series with you and the guests in between. Have a great week. We'll catch you on the next episode. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 